Yes. Come on, church. Hey, I love that. What a perfect way to end the song. Holy Spirit, we welcome you into this room for everybody in this room. I know we're in a marriage series, but this message is for you. I believe in relationships in our life that are deep knit. I believe in relationships that build us up, that speak life. And I believe the marriage relationship is something that we absolutely should magnify. But whoever you are, whenever in your life stage you are, wherever you are, no matter what hurts you've had in your relationships, this message is for you. And so let's pray and let's ask the God of the universe to bless this message. Come on. Heavenly Father, God, we love you. God, we thank you for who you are. God, we need you. So we call upon you right now. God, you are our God, and we love you. Teach us today. Give me the confidence and the boldness to say your word, to have fun, and just relate to everybody in the room. God, we love you. We pray all these things. In Jesus' name, everybody said amen. Well, you guys can be seated. At an art auction, they always keep the masterpiece painting hidden beneath a veil until the very last minute just before the bidding begins. Then, in dramatic fashion, they unveil it to everyone's delight. I have up on the screens a picture of Dutch painter Johannes Vermeer's famous masterpiece painting, Girl with the Pearl Earring. For hundreds of years, this painting has absolutely blown people away because Vermeer's technical skill, his use of lighting. However, the world-famous Dutch girl in the painting never existed in real life at all. This painting is not a portrait, but this painting is something else. It's called a trony. A trony is a painting that comes from the artist's imagination. Now, Vermeer probably had a young woman sit for the painting, but he painted an idealized and embellished version for her. For example, he gave her an oriental costume with a turban, and the pearl earring is bigger than any pearl. So a trony is not a realistic portrait, but it is an imaginary version. Today I have veiled before you a brand new trony that has been commissioned for this very message. And I hope, like girl with the pearl earring, that this will this will, this will blow the world away and that for generations, people will come to, to see its beauty and to see its magnificence. Let's just, shall we unveil it right now? It's, uh, here we go. I call it Pastor with Hair. <laughs> Let the bidding make it. No, 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 no. Hey, my name is Jordan Alpha. If you don't know me, I am uh, the student pastor here at Woodlands Church. Uh, (laughs) I'm also Pastor Carrie's son-in-law, and so I told him that I have a very unique position as the one who gets to make fun of him the most. Uh, He needs it. We all need it. It's really great. Uh, But yeah, I've been on staff here for 10 years, and I've been married coming up on 10 years, right? We're celebrating our 10-year anniversary in 10 months, and she tells me I'm already behind. You know what I mean? I gotta get planned in now, right? But man, in this near 10 years of marriage, I have learned so much. Number one, marriage is hard, y'all. Where was the disclaimer, you know what I mean? No, they told me everything. They told me everything I needed to know, right? And I think as we check in God's word, we'll see plenty of disclaimers to see not just how, yes, difficult, but also how life-giving and wonderful and purposeful marriage is. 
And if we want to find and create a masterpiece kind of marriage where husband and wife are soulmates at the deepest level, connected emotionally, relationally, spiritually, and physically, then we will find and we'll see today in God's word that that is found in the art of unveiling. Some of you guys may be thinking to yourself right now, hold on, buddy, I unveil around her all the time and it doesn't impress her, do nothing. We're not talking about that. It ain't this, that's not this message. If that's why you're here, fast forward, okay? Let's, let's keep, stick with me, it's gonna be good. I'm talking about unveiling your soul. The only way to become soulmates is by unveiling your soul. When you enter into marriage, there is a lot that is veiled. There's a lot that is hidden. Maybe you've heard it called the honeymoon stage. You see everything through rose-colored glasses. They have no faults, they have no flaws, just cute little quirks and habits. This phase can happen in any relationship. Maybe it's in a new business partnership and you finally found someone who shares your philosophy, who shares your values. Maybe a new friendship has started and, you, and you're, you've, you've, you've met someone who, who truly understands where you're coming from. It is so easy to relate to someone on the surface, but it is much harder. It is difficult to push past that. And if we long to have rich, life-giving relationships, then we need to fight past the surface level, the imaginary, the idealized, the trony phase of a relationship and get into what is real. But reality is messy. We are all perfectly imperfect. God knows this about us. He sees our brokenness and he accepts us despite of it. Because of our brokenness, we all get hurt and we all end up hurting other people in our life. Every marriage experiences hurt. There is no way to avoid it. But it is what you do with that hurt that determines whether your marriage will experience healing or death. We have to learn how to face the reality of relationship together if we are hoping to have a marriage that blesses us, that blesses our spouse, that blesses our friends, that blesses our kids, that blesses our community, that blesses our church, and that blesses the Lord. It's the only way to deepen your intimacy and become soulmates. And the secret is found in the art of unveiling. I want you to open your Bibles up today to the book of Genesis as we look at some of the most profound verses in all of Scripture. We're going to read Genesis 1, 26 and 27 and Genesis 2, 25. Would you please stand with me in honor of God's word? Then God said... Let us make human beings in our image to be like us. They will reign over the fish in the sea, the birds in the sky, the livestock, all the wild animals on the earth, and the small animals that scurry along the ground. So God created human beings in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. Now the man and his wife were both naked, but they felt no shame. You may be seated. Adam and Eve were both completely unveiled in the garden. Now this verse, of course, is saying that sexual intimacy within the marriage relationship is not something to be ashamed of, but something to be celebrated and enjoyed as a sacred gift from God. But this verse is also saying something so much deeper. God paints a beautiful picture of what it means to be in a masterpiece marriage. Here they are completely unveiled in their hearts, in their dreams, in their goals. They've got nothing to hide. They're not keeping anything back from each other. Their souls are laid bare, completely loved, completely accepted, completely unveiled. 
And I wanna do a study of the different times that we can see veils mentioned in scripture because it is so telling to why we hide ourselves from those, especially within the marriage, the people that we love and trust the most. If we're truly gonna connect to others in our life, then we must first learn how to unveil our heart. The Bible uses the word heart to describe our emotions, our feelings, and our motivations. Understand that veiling our hearts is a learned behavior. When you look at children, it's not very hard to know what's going on in their emotions. If they're happy, they squeak, and they laugh, and they shout, and they have a good time. If they're sad, they pout, and they drop their heads. And they, and, they, and they cry, and they do all those things. If they're angry, look out, okay? Because they scream, they shout, they punch, they kick, they throw things, okay? Is this just my house? You can, not, you can tell when a kid is going through it. In their emotions, you can read them. So what happens? We go throughout life, and our hearts get broken. We go throughout life, and we experience rejection. It's one of the hardest things that we see working with youth. I like to say junior high never ends, but there was a season in our life where all of us wanted to hide. The natural, the, the what just came out of us, we were ashamed of that in, some, in some, some, some way. We put a mask to hide our emotions so that no one would know what we're really feeling. We have to relearn how to unveil our hearts. I want you to look at the first time in scripture when veils are mentioned. It says this in Genesis 3, 7. At the moment their eyes were open, they suddenly felt shame at their nakedness. So they sewed fig leaves together to cover themselves. Before the fall, they were completely and totally unveiled. But after they sinned, what did they do? They sewed together fig leaves and they made a veil that covered their bodies. But it symbolized so much more than that. They covered their souls. They felt shame. They felt guilt. Therefore, to hide from God, they made a veil. We don't want anyone to know our true feelings. We're afraid that if we lay our souls bare, that if people really knew what we were going through, or they really knew what we thought, then they wouldn't accept us, they wouldn't like us. We can veil our hearts by suppressing these emotions, but we can't hide the hurt and the brokenness that is really there. Now there's several emotions that we really struggle to unveil. The first is hurt feelings. Husbands, tell me if this tracks. Your wife is having trouble expressing her hurt feelings because she thinks you should know when you've done something wrong and hurt her and you should recognize it and you should admit it and you should ask for forgiveness without her having to tell you what you did. Yes? Is this track? Ladies, don't clap for that. We'll get to you in a moment. Wives, we need the help, okay? We we genuinely don't know what we did, okay? Please help us. (laughs) This is a, yeah. PSA for all the wives out there. Help. Um... Have you ever played the game I like to call Honey, Is There Something Wrong? (laughs) This is a bad game. Don't play this game. No one wins this game, okay? Why? Men are always on the offensive. We sense there's something wrong, and so we say, Honey, is there something wrong? Wives, known for their defense. No, there's nothing wrong. Are you sure it seems like there's something wrong? And then, she's ahead of me. And then they double down with it's a trap card, okay? There's nothing wrong, I'm fine. This is, this is the impossible situation husbands are put in. Do I believe her? <laughs> or do I dive in and it's gonna get messy? 
We both need to learn how to better express our hurt feelings and say, when you did that, I felt hurt. If there's anything that Megan and I have learned in our near decade of marriage, it is getting to that place quicker, getting to that place faster. No games, no assumptions. Well, you should know that this. It's when you can get rid of the accusations or get rid of the name callings and telling them who they are. We like to tell people about themselves in my family, and it's not great. But when you can say, I felt hurt when you did that, it knocks all the defenses down and helps you get right to the root cause of what's really going on. To express our hurt feelings, to put ourselves out there and be vulnerable. Another type of feeling that we're afraid of sharing uh, is our feelings of anger. Do you know that in the Bible, it never says that anger is a sin? It says, in your anger, do not sin. There's a way to express your anger that deepens our relationship. We've all expressed our anger in the unhealthy ways at some point in our life. A lot of people either blow up and they get loud and they get feisty or they clam up. They get quiet and they shut down. When you blow up, it can be destructive. You do things you don't mean to do. You say things you don't mean to say and you can hurt people. But when you clam up, it can be even more destructive. Why? Because it can bring bitterness into the relationship. That anger can turn into bitterness and that can poison the relationship moving forward. This is such an important thing. Learning how to express your anger in the correct way so it doesn't hurt your relationship. In fact, the root of anger is not a bad thing. It just means you care about the relationship and about the other person. Have you ever met a passionate sports fan? I myself am a very passionate sports fan, all right? I learned it from my dad who would shout at the Rockets when I was younger and I have carried this on. It is the legacy we alpha men have and I will pass it on for generations, okay? But no, seriously, I've been yelled at by parents at games and that's very convicting. Um, in fact, you know what's one of my favorite parts? If you've ever been to a professional sports game, you know the guy who lets you know when the Houston Texans have gotten a first down? You can't miss him because it says, that's a Houston Texans first down, right? I got to be that guy at the Magnolia basketball games. It was so fun, go dogs. It was so fun. I would announce the starting lineups. You know, I would do, you know, I wouldn't sing the national anthem. I would spare everybody from that. But what I would do then is fire up the crowd and fire up the team by every time one of the Bulldogs, one of the Magnolia High School players scored a bucket, I'd say, Nicholas Tender for two. Or sometimes I'd get really fired up and I'd add my own sound effects, right? It'd be Joel Westbrook for three, 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 three. <laughs> And then when the other team scored, I would try to demotivate them. I'd say, Mark Miller for two. <laughs> it was so fun, but they made me stop. You know why? Because one time the refs had to stop the game and tell me to stop yelling at them over the microphone. Yeah. <laughs> it was so embarrassing. And the, 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 the crowd, the, the parents on the other team started clapping and I was like, this is not, I'm a pastor. This is not good. <laughs> This is not good. So on behalf of all passionate sports fans to all referees out there, I would like to apologize. I understand that your job is hard. I understand that uh, you don't have the benefit of instant replay, so you don't see things the way I see things when I'm on my TV. I understand that the outcome of the game, I'm sure you're not paid for the outcome of the game, but I know that it matters. So when I see it, it's just so frustrating because I think you're, okay, pause, sorry, yes? But in all seriousness, we get fired up. We get passionate about sports or games 
or reality TV shows with people who we don't know. If we can get fired up about those, if we can get passionate for those things, then we can get even more passionate for our marriages. And for many people, if I'm being honest, you need to get in the game in your marriage. Bitterness has calloused your heart and you just don't care anymore. Get back in the game and don't fight with your spouse, but fight for your spouse. That is how we have a masterpiece kind of marriage. When you start revealing your heart, it produces conflict. And when you deal with that conflict correctly, it takes your relationship to deeper levels. Don't settle for the surface level. We must make the choice to unveil our hearts, our hurt, and our angry feelings. The second thing we need to unveil is we need to unveil our faults. If there's anything true about marriage, it's that it magnifies the mess and the flaws that we always have had. Marriage will bring all your issues and character flaws to the surface. I actually think that this was one of God's intentions or his purposes for marriage. He wants the mess to come out, so we have to deal with it so that we can grow in our character while also growing closer to our spouse. It is such a beautiful thing when two imperfect people can be vulnerable with each other and share their imperfections openly. That builds trust. That brings us closer. That brings glory to God. We become more like Christ because the marriage relationship is a picture of Christ's relationship with his bride. As iron sharpens iron. That's a, that's a, that's a rough thing to go through, but it is a great thing to go through. He longs for the world to see, someone to look at your marriage and see a glimpse of what God's love is like for them and what God's love is like for his church. The Bible says that Moses was the most humble man on the face of the earth at the time. But even Moses struggled with unveiling his faults. When he went up on the mountain to meet with God, he came back down and his face was so bright and shining from the glory of God that it was almost blinding for people to look at. So he put a veil over his face so that people could actually talk to him and they wouldn't be blinded. What a kind fellow. But then the Bible says that Moses wore the veil long after the glory had faded. He kept wearing the veil because he didn't want people to know he wasn't as spiritual as they thought he was. Let's take a look at 2 Corinthians 3.13. Here's what it says. We are not like Moses who would put a veil over his face to prevent the Israelites from seeing the end of what was passing away. Unlike Moses, we have nothing to hide. Everything is out in the open for us all. He wore a veil so the children of Israel wouldn't notice the glory of God was fading away. We can completely unveil our faults and our weaknesses to God because he has given us his grace and his forgiveness on the cross. We don't have to pretend that we've got it all together. We can just admit our mess, receive his forgiveness, and then he takes our mess and turns it into a miracle. And then we can share our unveiled hearts with each other and admit we're all in the same boat. We're all sinners. We have all been saved by grace. We all have faults. We all have weaknesses. We've all committed sins. We all make mistakes and we've all experienced failure. I know I can relate to that. I mean, as a pastor, as a Christian, as a church leader, I'm sure many of you can relate to it as well. We like to hide behind our spirituality. We like to pretend that we've got it all together. We like to use big spiritual words or share our deep-rooted theology about what we know to be true. The Bible was not written to increase your knowledge. The Bible was written to change your life. 
It wasn't written to impress you. It was written to change you. Now, like I said, I've been working for, with youth for over 10 years, and there's a trick of the trade that I've been passing down to some of our young pastors or our leaders, and it's very simple. Try impossible things, and on the slim chance that it happens, walk away like it's no big deal, and you will immediately have won over whichever students are around you. I've been doing this for a long time, and sadly, I really like doing this, and it makes people mad. The people who know that I'm getting so lucky watch me dupe this sweet little sixth grade boy who's just, and they get pissed, and it's so funny to watch. And I'll say, it's all good fun, it's no big deal, but there have absolutely been times where I've taken this way too far. One of those times... We took a team to Sweden. We went across the pond. We went over and we partnered with our church uh, friends uh, in, in Hillsong, Stockholm, right? We went to their youth camp, Pastor Mark Miller, myself, my wife, Megan. We led a team of high school upperclassmen, some college students, and some young adults, and we went to their youth camp. And while we were there, Pastor Mark was preaching an incredible sermon, and I was going to help him with an analogy, okay? We were up on stage, and we were throwing an apple back and forth, and we were just sharing about the awesome connection that we had, the openness, and we were talking. It was so great. We'd throw the apple back and forth, behind the back, do all the things. It was so awesome. And then Mark stopped, and he said, man, I'm so proud of you. You know, this was a skit. You've overcome your candy addiction, and it's been so great. And I was like, ah, oh, thanks, man. That's so great. And so Mark walks off stage. And right as he walks off, the Swedes, the Swedish students, their student pastor walks up with a gigantic trench coat. And he says, hey, buddy, you want to buy some candy? And he opens the trench coat, and it is just flooded with candy. And so my character's like, no, 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 I can't do that. I have to, blah, 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 blah. And so I just say, no, no, no. And he walks off. He says, hey, man, first one's for free. And he throws me a candy bar, and I catch it. And then I hear the apple. And so Mark is coming back upstage. And so I don't know what to do with my character. I'm supposed to hide this candy bar. Mark's supposed to walk on stage, throw the apple from 30 feet and hit me in the face because I'm hiding something behind my back. That's what was supposed to happen. What really happened, I believe the spirit of the Lord came upon me because when he threw the apple, I took a step back. It hit my chest. My hands are behind my back holding a candy bar. I juggled it three times off my knees, two times off my feet. I turned and I kicked it with my heel and it went 30 feet on a rope straight back to his hand. <laughs> and the place lost it. They did not care what the message was about. They didn't know what the skit was supposed to be saying. Did you not see this incredible thing? I had a moment there where I could have joined them in their whatever and just laughed and celebrated it as the miracle that it was. Or, like I did, I could just play it cool and walk right off stage, which I did. And then the whispers and the rumors started happening. Who is this guy? Is he some soccer legend? What is this? We're in Europe where soccer is king. So to be good at soccer, I'm not good at soccer. They thought I was the man. They thought I was the goat. And so they just kept talking and I was just loving it. I just drank it and it was so great. Except for the fact that they would come up to me. They would rush me. They would talk to me. And I was just putting this front up like I was the man. They grabbed me and they brought me to a soccer field. And then we were playing soccer. And I was like, oh no. <laughs> I'm about to get exposed. Here we go. Wouldn't you believe it? It happened again. I'm running and a perfect cross, a ball comes and I'm just looking at it and it just hits me in the face, but then goes perfect top shelf, corner of the goal and goes in. 
And before I can be like, no, 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 I'm being carried off the field. And I'm like, I'm living a lie. It was insane. But you know what's crazy about that whole experience? I must have had a hundred conversations that day. People who were rushing me, talking about how awesome I was. No meaningful conversations to me because the whole time I was worried that they'd really find out. Isn't that crazy? Does that relate to you? Have you ever tried to keep up fronts and impress people? I've discovered that you can impress people by talking about your successes, but you can influence people when you admit your failures. And I decided long ago that I wanna be an influencer. I wanna influence people to follow the extraordinary God that I serve. I don't wanna pretend that I have all the answers, but that I have the one answer that matters, the answer of Jesus Christ. And I'm gonna point people to him because he makes all the difference in my life. Dropping the veil over our faults can be such a freeing feeling. Number one, it brings more glory to God. The apostle Paul says in my weaknesses that God showcases his strength. But secondly, it draws people to us. I know that I'm drawn to people who don't wear masks. I'm drawn to people who are real and who are totally unveiled because they're in tune with the unconditional love of Christ. They can risk rejection because they don't need my acceptance. Wow, that's freeing. I want what they have. I'm drawn to people like that. They know that Christ loves them. Do you know that Christ loves you? It's his love that transforms us. It's his love that makes us able to shed the veils in our life. So we have to learn to unveil our faults. Thirdly, we must unveil our insecurities. Fear is the main reason that we veil ourselves. Fear of failure, fear of the unknown, fear of rejection, fear of what people will think. The greatest enemy to intimacy is insecurity. When Jesus died on the cross, he died to tear apart the veil of fear and insecurities. Let's look at what it says in Matthew chapter 27, verses 50 and 51. And Jesus cried out again with a loud voice and yielded up his spirit. And behold, the veil of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. I love that. The veil of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. What was the veil of the temple? It was this gigantic curtain hung from ceiling to floor that separated the Holy of Holies from the rest of the temple. The Holy of Holies was where God's presence would dwell. So the veil of the temple separated perfect, blameless, holy God from broken, sinful man. But the scripture tells us real clearly that the very first thing that happened after Christ was killed was the tearing of the veil. We can come to God with our hearts, with our faults, with our insecurities. Why? Because he accepts us just the way we are. The price has already been paid. If we have faith in Jesus and we receive his, his perfect love, it will cast out our fear. I want you to look at this last verse because this is the most important verse of all. It's in 1 John chapter 4, verse 18. It says, such love has no fear because perfect love expels all fear. If we are afraid, it is for fear of punishment. And this shows that we have not fully experienced his perfect love. The opposite of fear is not faith. The opposite of fear is love. When we, when we allow fear to rule our lives, we put fig leaves over our hearts, 
We put veils over our faults and our insecurities. But the good news is, we are enough. The price is already paid. Jesus defeated sin and death, and he raises us up so we don't have to raise ourselves up anymore. With new connection, it is nothing that we have to earn. It is because of his unconditional love that we can unveil our hearts and experience true connection with God. Then we can unveil our hearts to the people around us and risk loving them because he loves us completely. We have the ability to do this. And God gives us the opportunity to do this. But the biggest question is this. Are you willing to go there? You are accepted just as you are in Christ. Are you willing to put yourself out there with your spouse? This Lent season is always a stark reminder of the willingness of Jesus. Just how willing was Jesus to fight for a deeper intimacy with you? He was willing to give everything to showcase his love and put himself through agony on our behalf. Jesus bled seven places when he gave his life for us. And each of these showcased the willingness of our savior who loves us so much. The first place that Jesus bled was on the night before he was betrayed and killed. He was overwhelmed with the burden he was about to bear. The Bible says he sweat drops of blood. Medical doctors tell us that when someone is in such agony and turmoil and they're so burdened, it is possible for their capillaries to burst and for blood vessels to break and come out of their pores. That's what happened with Jesus. The perfect son of God was not exempt from turmoil and anxiety. He took our burdens willingly because we were worth it to him. Christ sweat drops of blood so that I could get back to the open, honest, and pure intimacy with God. Do you long to bring comfort to your spouse? Our job is not to fix them, but it is to get in the muck and mire with them and bear their burdens together. Are you willing to take on the burdens of those you love? The second place that Jesus Christ shed his blood was on his back. The cat of nine tails was a whip with nine strands, and on the end of those strands were fragments of bone and stone. That is what Jesus Christ was willing to endure when he was lashed 39 times. Blood flowed from his back for you and for me. I think about our broken relationships, the hurt and the baggage that we carry from feeling betrayed by others. Jesus died for the very people who were killing him. He was willing to forgive them and push past it because of his love for them. You don't have to hold on to the bitterness. You can experience healing from the hurts and the wounds that you never deserved. Are you willing to forgive your spouse when they wrong you? Are, you? are they worth it to you like you were to Jesus? Then there's a third place Jesus bled. The Bible says that he was beaten and bruised so severely that he had internal bleeding. The blood pooled up beneath his skin. I'm so thankful that Jesus bled under his skin so that he could get under our skin and cleanse us at the deepest level. He cleanses us and heals us at the deepest level so that we can live our relationships at the deepest level. But are you willing to open up to your spouse so they can help heal you from whatever is wounding you internally? The fourth place that Jesus shed his blood was on his brow. They mocked him, saying, if he's really the king of the Jews, then he needs a crown. So what did they do? They made him a crown out of a thorn bush with thorns that were three or four inches long and jammed it onto his brow and the blood flowed. Jesus took my thorns, he took my sins upon his brow. 
He did that so I don't have to hide my sins anymore. I can bring them to him and receive his forgiveness. Are you willing to confess to your spouse when you have fallen short or done something wrong? The fifth place Christ shed his blood was his hands. He took the spikes in his hands and he reached out to me. The God of the universe risked the greatest risk of all time. He created me with the ability to reject him. And today there's so many people that reject him, but nonetheless, he reaches out his hands to them because love is not love unless it has the power of choice. Love has to have a choice. Are you willing to love your spouse whether they choose you back or not? That is the love of Jesus. A marriage masterpiece is found when both husband and wife put themselves out there and love each other, not expecting love in return, but just loving. Then, of course, the sixth place. He took the spikes in his feet, the same feet that hours before had walked over his disciples to wash their feet, to teach them that it's not about how high you can lift yourself up, but rather how high you can lift up other people. He gave me the power to do this by taking the nails in his feet. Are you willing to serve your spouse, to serve your kids, to serve your coworkers, to serve your friends? Are you willing to be unselfish because that is the secret to intimacy in any relationship, especially the marriage relationship? The problem we have is selfishness, but Jesus breaks that thorn of self-centeredness because he took the nails in his feet. And then, of course, the last place he shed his blood was his side. The Bible says that they put the spear in his side and blood and water flowed out. Doctors tell us that's because Christ had a broken heart. His heart literally burst. He didn't die by asphyxiation, which was the usual way that people would die on the cross. As you'd be nailed with your hands and your legs, you would have to stretch up to catch a breath so that your lungs wouldn't collapse. When you could no longer do that, you would die by asphyxiation. That's not how Jesus died. He was already dead. He died of a broken heart. His heart literally burst, and then it flowed out blood and water from his side. Jesus' heart was broken so that my heart can be healed. In this broken world of thorns and thistles, you will experience a broken heart, but that's why you bring it to Jesus. He wants to heal your broken heart. Are you willing to share your heart with your spouse, to work through your hurt feelings, to work through your anger? The price of connection with us was steep, but Jesus was willing to go through it all to win us back to him and to allow us the opportunity to live in intimacy with God. He shed his blood in those seven places so that we can experience total forgiveness. Every drop of precious, sinless blood flowed down to give us total healing, total peace, total forgiveness. Jesus' sacrifice heals our souls and it allows us the ability to connect with each other at the deepest level. I can be soulmates with my wife. I can have deep relationships with my friends and with my kids and those around me because of what Jesus did. I don't have to hide behind any veils in my life anymore, and neither do you. Let's bow together. Lord, I know that we all have so many reasons to put up veils in our lives. We're hurt, and we're angry, and we failed countless times. We're full of insecurities. God, I pray today that we would bring all of these to you. God, you bled in those seven places to wash away our sins. Help us, Lord, to live unveiled, to stop hiding, to be who you've called us to be, not to try to impress people, Lord, but to follow you with all of our hearts. 
And I pray that for everyone here, that we would place our hearts in your hands, that we would feel more of how much you love us, that we can trust you with our whole lives. God, I pray for those who have never received your free forgiveness, that they would say right now, silently to you, dear Jesus, thank you for shedding your blood to cover all of my sins. I'm sorry for wearing a veil. I'm sorry for trying to pretend like I can get to heaven on my own. I can take that veil down. I admit that I need your forgiveness and that I need your grace. And I ask you to come into my life through your spirit. I thank you that my body is now your temple. Love through me, live through me. Thank you, Jesus. Lord, I pray for all of us that you would bring healing to hearts, that in Jesus' name, you would heal broken bodies and that you would heal broken relationships. Lord, bring healing as only you can. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Woodlands Church, uh, we wanna come alongside you and we want to help you grow strong in Christ and grow a strong Christ-centered marriage. So next Sunday night, that's March 3rd, we're going to have Marriage Builder Night. Starts at 6 p.m. at both of our campuses. Pastors Carrie and Chris Shook will be there speaking on developing a marriage vision. We will feed you, we'll take care of your kids. We got you, all right? It's six to 7.30 on Sunday night. Come with your life group, come by yourselves with your spouse, it's gonna be incredible. And then the next week, so Sunday night, March 10th, we will have single Sunday night. 6 p.m., food, fun, sign up for these on the website, sign up for these on the app. We are invested in growing the relationships in your life. It's good to come and hear about it, but let's go do something. Let's show the willingness that we have. Would you please stand with me? Let's show the willingness that we have to love and to praise a God who deserves all the praise that we have. I love you, Woodlands Church. Let's praise. Hey, church. Thanks for listening to the Woodlands Church with Carrie Shook podcast. By listening, we hope that you're encouraged wherever you are. If you haven't already, we'd love for you to subscribe to our podcast so that you can get the latest messages each week. For more information on Woodlands Church, check out the description for a link to our website and how to connect with us. We hope you have a great week.